Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. In today's study through the book of Habakkuk, we will continue in the prophet's conversation with God concerning evil and now evildoers. We will see that God mercifully gives Habakkuk an answer, but it's not one that he expected. And it is one that we must look to to see how it speaks of God's design and strategy for God's victory over evil. Thanks for joining us as we look to find strength for our faith in the midst of a world of turmoil. There's a YouTube channel that some of you might be uh, you might know of uh, called Daily Dose of the Internet. Anybody seen that? In a mile, I got two of us. Okay, that's probably good too. It's a pretty clean channel. It's a, it's kind of a weekly or daily uh, set of videos that are usually kind of funny, um, oftentimes cute with animals. Uh, this week, however, I saw there was um, one animal they had on there, a sheep, that got stuck in a trench. There was a, a farmer, a farmer's field had dug this deep trench, and the sheep got himself wedged all the way down in there. And so the video showed that the, the, the workers there grabbed the back leg of the sheep and they were hiking it back up, pulling it out, and they got the sheep out. And the sheep ran 10 feet and went right back into the ditch. Got itself stuck all over again. It, it, it reminded me of when I was a young man helping uh, my dad shovel some manure for a neighbor who had a bunch of sheep. I maybe have told you this story before. And as I remember, I had the shovel because that's what sons are for. I had the shovel to uh, um, throw it in the back of the truck. Uh, but we needed to get to an area where the sheep currently were in the pen inside the barn. And so we opened up the gate so that sheep could get out. But these dumb sheep were so stupid that they just wanted to knock their heads into the wall, afraid of me. They, they were afraid of us. And so they didn't know what they wanted. They, we did. Like, we knew, get out of the barn. It's going to be better for you to get out. But, man, sheep are, sheep are dumb. Amen? <laughs> I mean, they don't even know what they want. And the things they think they want are not the right things. Well, it's a good thing we're not as dumb as sheep, right? It's a good thing that we never hit our heads going in the wrong direction, right? Um, from what ought to seem obvious, the freedom that God would lay before us, it's a good thing you and I don't have that same problem, but of course we do. And so why is that so hard is the question. Why is it that you and I find ourselves somehow stuck back in the ditch? That we find ourselves once more hitting ourselves in the head against the wall that doesn't move because we've desired the wrong things. And the root of it is a core corruption down to the very fabric of who we are. Not God's fault. This is not something God has done. But it's a corruption of the rebellion of mankind all the way back to the garden. When Adam and Eve decided, as you likely would have if you were in their shoes, to go their own way rather than go God's way. Every single one of us who have come from them are under the same curse where your desires will deceive you. And that's the theme that I want us to, to work through today as we're going to be once more in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. If you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to take them out and, and turn there. And as you're turning to Habakkuk chapter uh, 1, we're going to be moving into chapter 2. I want to just give us a little bit of our bearings for where we were last week. Uh, the story through the book of Habakkuk is an oncoming invasion to the southern tribe in Judah by the evil 
Babylonians. And it starts out in a conversation that Habakkuk is having with God. Habakkuk says to God, what, you know, as he looks to his own people in Judah, in Jerusalem, the people of God, he sees such injustice everywhere he looks, he, he cries out to God. Why do you tolerate this, God? Why do you put up with your people stabbing each other in the back, leaving astray from your will, and acting in a way of promoting wickedness amongst your own people? Why do you tolerate that? That's the question Habakkuk has to ask God. And God's answer was not something Habakkuk wanted to hear, which was, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians to be my instrument of discipline over my people. And that's where we left the story. We, we, we left the story with God's answer uh, finished in verse 11. Um, I'll just pick it up there. God saying, then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Um, I didn't cover the, uh, the, the Hebrew construction of some of these phrases as we work through that is going to be a matter of, in, of um, instruction this morning. Um, your, your Bible might read slightly different than mine, but I, I'm a little bit uh, less satisfied with sometimes the English rendering of it. So I'm going to try to give you uh, the, the Hebrew sense behind this. Um, if you're a note-taking person, you might want to make a, just a note in the paraphrase to help you understand what these actually mean. Um, verse 11, though, has a clue in here that's going to help us for today. Because for today, we're going to move on to uh, Habakkuk's response. Right? Verse 6 says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. And Habakkuk is very upset about this. That is, that is not an acceptable answer. And so Habakkuk is going to return in this conversation with God his own concerns about God's plan. Has that ever happened in your life? Has God ever changed your plans or done things in a way that you would not have done? Well, that's the situation we're dealing with here. So we're going to start in chapter 1, uh, verse 12, and we're going to work through chapter 2, verse 5. Um, a- as we do, we're also going to run across a, a verse in chapter 2 uh, that I just will not have time for today to do justice on, uh, but it is perhaps in the top five most important Old Testament verses. So you're in luck. If you came to church today, you're, you're going to get right at the very top of the most important verses in the entire Old Testament with reflection to how they get unfolded in the new. Uh, that's going to be the subject of our lesson next Sunday, but we're only, we're only going to touch on it today. So starting in chapter one in verse 12, this is Habakkuk now responding to God. Oh Lord, are you not? From everlasting, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Then why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You've made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. 
the wicked foal pulls them all up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net? Destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave. And like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. All right, that's our, that's our passage for this morning. As I've had opportunity this week to work through it, uh, there's so much. There's so, it's, it's just like a bounty of riches in these passages that I'm so excited to share with you. Um, but one of, the, one of the ways it hit me uh, immediately working through this is the limited capacity of your perspective and mine compared to God. God knows, church. God totally knows. That, that was part of our, our study last week, right? For, for those who feel like God doesn't see the evil that's happening, the evil in your own life, wherever that happens. I know sometimes from our limited perspective, it feels like we are alone, but you are not. You're not. God knows. And so to start off with, a few observations that I I see from this passage is that sometimes for us, it's hard to make sense of evil in our world. Is that true? What do you think? Isn't that hard? Do you watch, who watches the news, right? Isn't it hard sometimes to look and say, you know, God, we really didn't need that headline. You know, we, we really didn't need another hostage situation. We really didn't need another school shooting. Whatever it might be, boy, sometimes it's just so hard to make sense of evil in our world. And I want you to know that's where Habakkuk begins. I actually want to read verses, verse 12 again because I think there's a, there's a slight tone that we have to carry with it from the way Habakkuk responds to God's answer, I'm going to rise up the Babylonians. So verse 12 says, with, it starts out with confidence. I want you to see that. Oh Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. Your Bible might say, he will not die there. Uh, that, that's okay. There's a, there's a textual um, uh, discussion going on for how that was written down. doesn't matter though. If Habakkuk says God will not die, which we clearly are like, duh, we know that. Or we will not die, which is a confidence in God. Either way, Habakkuk begins by saying, you are God. That's where he starts. He starts with confidence in God. 
He is almighty. That's what the word everlasting here is referencing. He's from before there was time. So he is clearly almighty. And then the second half of verse 12 ought to be read this way. O Lord, you've appointed them to execute judgment? O Rock, you have ordained them to punish? Do, do, do you, does your, do you see how it makes more sense when you see that's his complaint? Th- them being who? This evil people. This evil people has no fear of God. In fact, their God is their strength. It's their might. Uh, that will be part of his illustrative complaint here in a, in a moment. But this, at this point, for Habakkuk is utter confusion. What? Them? Like, that wasn't what I was expecting. Habakkuk likely was expecting, hey, there's a bunch of wickedness going on amongst your people. And for God to say, I'm going to give you some righteous leaders. We're going to get, we're going to get some good guys in there to take care of the rubbish going on. But that's not at all what God says. God says, I'm going to bring a people even worse. A people who are even more wicked to come. And for Habakkuk, this is a bit of a contradiction. Look with me again in verse 12. He, he, re- he refers to the Lord in a couple different ways. He says, O Lord, this is God's covenant-keeping name. He, he repeats that in the second line, but then he calls him a rock. Do you see that? How cool is that? When's the last time you called God your rock? The, the picture here is this like strong foundation that can never move no matter what torrent or hurricane or wind or wave would hit you. Man, I'm on the rock. And that's his confidence in God. But doesn't it seem like a contradiction? Rock that you would choose the Babylonians? You see, this is our problem. Sometimes it's just really hard for us to make sense of the evil that we see in our world. Which moves us to uh, the second problem, which is where many, many of us go, which is, all right, I see that there's evil. I can't make sense of that. So I'm going to try to see it in light of God. But then why would, why would God allow that to happen? Uh, this, by the way, is one of the most common arguments from an atheist perspective as to why there can't be a God. Uh, the, the problem of suffering or the problem of evil to which the church has had a response for years. It's called a theodicy, which is how we respond to this quandary, this seeming um, paradox. If God is all good and all powerful, I mean, what would you do if you were all good and all powerful? Would you let evil continue? So the thought is, if he lets evil happen, either he's not good or... He's just a weak little God that's just not strong enough to fix it. Either way, the argument from the atheist is, well, I guess there is no God then. Because we see evil, we see suffering, and that doesn't compute with how we understand God. Uh, The church has answered this historically in two different ways. The first, an Augustinian answer says that, you know what? Evil really doesn't come from God at all. Evil is just the opposite of good. In fact, you wouldn't even know how to categorize good if evil didn't correspond with it. And so evil is a product not of God's will, but of the broken human cursed will. And God allows it to happen. So it's not a question of God. In fact, the fact we see evil all the more makes us have to know how to calibrate it such that there must be an all-powerful good. That's been the first response. 
The second one that comes from Irenaeus and later down gets elaborated by John Hick is is saying that actually the reason why evil exists in the world is because you're left unfinished. That God's work of creation has a little bit more work to be done because you need to be grown towards maturity. And so God allows evil to happen because it builds your soul. It actually helps form you and shape you into the kind of creature God wants you to be. Now, interestingly, both of these are are good responses. Um, Neither of them are what God tells Habakkuk. Now, I'm going to tell you what that is in in just a moment. When we get to our conclusions, we're still on our observation side. I want you to see it in the text in verse 13, this theodicy problem. He says, your eyes are too pure. Do you see the good? Right? I mean, God's all powerful in verse 13. I guess he's good. So the question is, why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why, Why do you let evil happen? And this is a question of having to make sense of both God and God as sovereign. This word right here. The word sovereign means the God who is also the Lord. Uh, Every time it shows up in the Old Testament, it's a combination of two Hebrew words, um, Adonai, which means Lord, and Yahweh, or Elohim, which means God. He is the God, not the God who's not in charge. We worship the God who is in charge. That's what sovereignty means. And I, I don't know if you caught the... Just because I've been studying this quite a bit, I'll point it out to you because you probably didn't catch it. But the first question that he has is back up in verse 3. Take a look at verse 3. He says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Do you remember that being his first question? Well, now within the conversation, if you jump to verse 13, we have an answer to that. It says, you cannot tolerate wrong. So Habakkuk has the answer to that. All right, you're not going to put up with your people living in sin but you're going to put up with the Babylonians? Do, do, do you see how now the question has moved? Not why do you tolerate wrongdoing, but why do you tolerate wrongdoers? Do you see how the question has now changed for Habakkuk to be this existence of making sense of evil and then trying to make sense of the God who allows for evil? Uh, thirdly, sometimes we are required to wait for an answer. In, in Habakkuk's complaint, he makes an illustration like fish. Did you catch that? He says, all right, you're, you're going to bring the Babylonians? Well, here's how I see that. Uh, all people are like fish in a, in a lake. And you know what the Babylonians are like? They're like these devouring hordes of fishermen who drop their net, catch all these poor fish, these helpless fish, and then just gorge themselves on, on the meal. And they do it over and over and over and are you, this is Habakkuk's complaint, are you going to let this continue till there's no more fish? Like that, that's essentially his, his argument. And then look what he says starting in chapter 2. He says, I will stand watch. And now I think this is a point of integrity in Habakkuk's life. I, I don't know how you do when you're crying to God. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not always doing uh, very good with that. But I got to give Habakkuk a little credit here. He says, I'm going to stand and I'm going to wait. So, so the picture here is a watchman on the, it's the rampart. It's the outer wall of the building. And I'm going to keep my eyes fixed because I believe you're going to give me an answer. 
And then even the answer itself in verse 3, God says the revelation waits for an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it linger, what's your Bible say? Yeah, wait. You need to be patient and wait for this. Which, by the way, is really, really good news for us when we're facing the confusion we have over evil and God's sovereignty. Because it means God's not taking his hand off the wheel. He's totally got a plan. Do you ever have that happen to you with your kids? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much longer? Right? Now, do you know? You as the driver, you as the parent, do you know when you're there? Totally got a plan. I, I know. I can get that it's hard for the back seat. So this is good news for us. Although, raise your hand if you like waiting. <laughs> yeah, and so that's, that's a bit of the problem here. One other thing I just want to point out to you so you understand verse 3. So chapter 2, verse 3 says, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. And it won't prove false. What, what that means in Hebrew is that the revelation of God is a reliable witness of what is to come. That's what it means that it speaks to the end. Like God knows what's going to happen at the end. So when he reveals what that looks like, uh, God is telling Habakkuk, you can count on this. It's almost a um, a divine, I told you so. (laughs) Come on now, be honest. Has that ever been you? I told you. I told you this is how it was going to go. That's... That's what God is telling Habakkuk right now. Like, what, what, you need to wait for the revelation. When it comes, though, it will be precisely as I have said, because it speaks with integrity of what is to come to the end. All right, fourth observation. Oh, no, sorry, this passage on the Matthew, um, which is such a problem for us, right? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? No one here is ever guilty of that, right? No, nobody here is wanting to judge others and not look at themselves. And I want to submit to you, this is precisely why God tells you to wait sometimes. I think because the perspective that we have so often is skewed by our own desires, that part of God's program in, let, in letting you wait is that you actually discover that, oh yeah, I've got sawdust in my eye as well. I actually need God's Forgiveness in my life as well. And if I'm really honest, if I'm so peeved at the Babylonians and frustrated with God, you need to just wipe them out. If God were to eradicate evil from the face of the planet, do you know what that would mean for you? You're right there with them. And I believe that's part of God's strategy for why he says, slow down. Just be patient because you get a couple nights to sleep on it. You get a little more perspective. And I think in his mercy, you help to see that actually I need grace. And if I need grace, then I need to be willing to do what to others? Yeah. You see how this works with forgiveness? Do you need forgiveness? So then you need to do what to others? Yeah. So I think that's the core strategy for why we need to wait. Lastly, is that sometimes the answer, though, is very unexpected. And in verse 4, you have the answer. So it's actually verse 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5 together are the entire book of Habakkuk. Like the the whole of the book of Habakkuk is pointing directly to verse 4. And this is in the top five most important verses in the entire Old Testament for what it means in the new. I'm just giving you a preview. That's what we're going to look at next Sunday in depth, just verse four. But what I want you to see in our study for this morning is that is not what Habakkuk was expecting. 
Habakkuk would have been expecting as he's sitting, maybe like you would be, on the ramparts waiting. All right, God, I told you what's wrong. I'm waiting for an answer. That the answer Habakkuk really wanted to have was, yeah, I'm going to destroy those Babylonians. They're going to get it, man. That would have satisfied Habakkuk. But instead of an indictment upon the wicked, God gives an invitation for the righteous. Man, that was, that was completely an unexpected answer. Look, look, look at verse 4. See, he's puffed up. His, his desires are not upright. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. It's this line, the second half of verse 4. But the righteous will live by his faith or his faithfulness. The righteous will live by faith. Wow. That's the invitation. That was not what Habakkuk was expecting. So I want to offer you a couple of conclusions so that we can try to make sense of what we're seeing with what's so often hard for us to see. The first is this. Wickedness will not go unpunished. So the very first answer to Habakkuk's complaint is the full scope of God's response, which is, don't worry, don't worry. They won't get off the hook. Wickedness absolutely will be punished. I want, I want you to see that in a few places. And this is why I had to start in verse 11. Verse 11 says of the Babylonians, they sweep past like the wind and go on. Uh, and then it, it, I, I think it's a little easier if we, if we flip the, um, the noun here in Hebrew past the verb. Because my NIV reads, guilty men whose own strength is their God. It, it, it ought to instead be translated... For men whose strength is their God will be held guilty. That, that's, that's how the Hebrew, that's the idea that God is saying there. Did you catch that? For men whose own strength is their God, they will be held guilty. So, so th- this is absolutely going to happen. And you can see it as it unfolds more and more within God's answer um, in fact, we read in the New Testament already in Galatians chapter 6. Lois had it, right? Don't be misled. God can't be mocked. A man will reap whatsoever he sows. So even if it's taking some time, don't be misled. Wickedness will not go unpunished. Um, I've been uh, studying the book of Revelation in our Monday study, and I, I ran across this really peculiar verse that fits this exact observation. It comes at the end of Revelation. Jesus says this. Uh, then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right and let the holy person continue to be holy. Is that, is that strange to you? That, that kind of catches me a little off guard because I'm not used to God saying, keep doing whatever you want to do. Have, have you not been warned? Have I not been warned? And yet make no mistake, the judgment of God will not delay. He's not asleep. He is not forgetting to write down what has happened. Wickedness will not go unpunished. That's probably the best thing that Habakkuk wants to hold on to until he realizes, I'm in the same category. I'm part of the wicked. I'm part of the problem as well. 
Uh, one last thing to point out to you. Where is this showing up in the book of Revelation? This is, yeah, this is not before all of the bowls and trumpets and plagues, right? This comes at the very end. This is a warning for you and me. I, I, I hope you take that and think, boy, I hope I'm on the back half of that verse and not the front half of that verse. But that's the first thing I want you to see is that wickedness will not go unpunished. The second is this. The timing of God's judgment is set not by you, not by Habakkuk, not by the Babylonians. The timing of it is set by God. With the idea that wickedness uh, will not go unpunished and God will set a time by which that judgment comes out, uh, comes to pass. Uh, the illustration that I think of is um, eating Christmas chocolate. Uh, be honest now, how many people ate too much chocolate for Christmas? Yeah. yeah, thank you. Got some Christians in church today, confessing their sins. Yeah, here's how it goes. I'll just tell you in my life, you see if this mirror is yours, that um, I can eat some and eat some. And then I'm like, I still feel fine. I can eat more. I can eat more. I still feel fine. I can eat more until... You've already eaten too much, right? And, and then judgment is going to come. <laughs> there, there's no way around it. You're going to feel crummy. Uh, when, when I was little, I used to uh, play, with my, play with my dad, wrestle with my dad. And you could provoke him because he'd get home from work at 5 and want to watch TV. But you could go over and like poke at him, peck at him, and you'd cut it up. Peck at him. Stop that now. And I knew if I kept poking at him, eventually he was going to do what? And he would, yeah, and, and, and wrestle with me. That's a, that's a, a nice way of looking at this. The same thing is happening with respect to wickedness according to God. He's the one that knows the time. Every little poke and prod, every little sin that is against his will is on record. And God will be the one who sets the time because he's the one who knows. He's the one who knows how and when to execute judgment. Third is this, the problem of evil is a problem of the heart. I want to draw your attention to the centerpiece of the entire book of Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 4, he says, uh, this is the NIV again, see he is puffed up, his desires are not upright. Okay, a a couple of things here um, that need to be explained. The verb he's puffed up, it comes from a Hebrew word that means, uh, actually the root of it is the picture of a kind of swelling that's about to pop. It's actually the word that they use to refer to hemorrhoids. Yes, this, this, this swelling is not a good thing. It, it would be like if you saw a little kid uh, blow, um, filling up a water balloon. Uh, I, I always remember I was at, I think it was Eli's birthday party with the Adams uh, that we had at Sawyer Lake. Is that right, Luke? Sawyer Lake? Yeah, and and and... Luke's a great dad. You know what he did? He bought a bunch of water balloons for the kids to throw at each other. But here's what I watched happen. They'd be filling one up on the spigot, right? And it started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I've done this before. I know what's about to happen. You guys know what's about to happen? That little kid who's thinking, I'm going to get my friend. He himself is about to what? He's about to get it, right? Because it's going to pop. That's what this word means. When you read in verse 4, see he's puffed up, the reader needs to understand he's about to pop is what this means. And it, it's probably better, again, if you switch the order of the verb and the noun, it's probably better to be translated this way. Uh, the one whose desires are not upright 
is set to pop like a swollen hemorrhoid. <laughs> That's what the verse means, right? The, the one whose desires are not righteous is about to go boom, right? Um, and the problem is because, uh, the, the problem is this word desires. Do, do you see it there? That's the problem. Where, where do these desires come from? And they come from our hearts. That's where they come from. And so the root of the problem that we're dealing with is a problem of the heart. This from Jeremiah 79. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's beyond cure. Who can understand it? Like the wickedness of the heart is the real issue going on. Um, the, the same word that's used for desires is the word used in verse 5. If you look with me in verse 5, he says, Indeed, wine betrays him. Uh, he is arrogant, never at rest. Because, this phrase, he is as greedy as the grave. That's the same verb. Desire. His de- his, he has as much desire as the grave has. And when is the grave full? This is an old Hebrew kind of idiom that the, the grave is never, uh, never loses its appetite, right? Because people keep what? Yeah, so the grave is always wanting more, 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 more. That's the same word here used for desires. Because church, I want you to know that is the core problem. It is our heart. And, and then we have another. Here's some more bad news for you. Uh, God's judgment over those desires, the evil desires. Do you know what it is? It's death. That's what God has said. <laughs> you can't really change what God said because he said it. Let me just remind you where he said it. Genesis chapter 2. In the garden, he says to Adam and Eve, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will. Yeah. The the Hebrew there for the word certainly, it means you will die dead. (laughs) As if there were any other kind. Yeah. It's double entendre of dying. God is serious about this. That's the punishment. For disobeying him. That's a punishment of sin, following your desires. And then what's happened? Next, very next, very next chapter, chapter three. You did the one thing I told you not to do, right? And God with the curse says to the man, by the sweat of your brow, you eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. The first half of Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. God's judgment over the evils of the heart. Make no mistake, it's death. So this is all pretty crummy news up until this point. Until you look again in verse 4, because here's the answer that you and I see the fulfillment of, which is that God offers you salvation and life through Jesus. God offers you salvation from this death. He offers you life from the death that you deserve through Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the righteous one. Jesus is the fulfillment of verse four. When God tells Habakkuk, hey, you might need to wait for this. The revelation is coming. It will speak perfectly according to the end of what comes. He's talking about Jesus. And this then for the Apostle Paul and the rest of the uh, New Testament writers becomes for you and I now a pattern of how we live in Christ, which we're going to deal with next Sunday. But what I want you to see is that God provides a way where there is no way because the ultimate answer to your and my indictment against the Babylonians is also an indictment.
indictment against ourselves. That we're right there with them. And that death is that penalty. God sets the timing, but he also provides a way. In order for us to see this, we need to look at one other passage as we conclude. So if you would turn, hold your spot in the back. Don't lose your spot. And I want you to turn to the New Testament book of First Peter. In fact, I think we did this same exercise last Sunday. We're seeing how the apostle to the Jews, understanding all this background, is going to now apply to the church the picture of the new covenant. First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 24. I also have it on the screen if you don't have it, but I'd love it if you read the words out of your own Bible. Here we go. First Peter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we may die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed for you were all like sheep going astray but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls how beautiful is that I I want to make sure you pick up in here the exact same pattern and themes that we see happening through through Habakkuk. Does death show up in here? Did you see it? The the call to the Christian is the same penalty as God's judgment over sin, which is death. And so die to your old self. Whatever desire that deceives you and has been deceiving you, that you keep giving into, that's amplified by the world, put it in the dirt. Bury it. Let it die. Like Jesus on the cross, the penalty for sin pictured in no better way, once for all, complete and finished. Join him. Die to those sins and then live for righteousness. Which, if you paid attention to Habakkuk, is exactly what God said. That the righteous will live by their faith. And I love the picture here of all men like sheep. Not just the Babylonians, not just the treacherous and the wicked. um, For you were all like sheep going astray. But now you return to the shepherd. With, With this in mind and these conclusions that we can see from Habakkuk, and you can turn back there now. I just want to offer you three ways by which I think that we can obey this this week. I hope that as you gather here, part of what we do in studying God's word is to take it with us. And so it's only as good as you use, right? Listening to me is not going to help you. Um, Actually engaging with God's word will be the best thing you can do. And the first thing I want to tell you is this. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary. When you look at evil in the world, it's discouraging. Amen? When you look at the evils that have even plagued your own life, man, that that boss that I got or that coworker or this family member that makes me want to just... Right? Whatever it is for you, that doesn't give you the right to eye for an eye. Right? That doesn't give you the right to repay as it was offered to you. Instead, the Bible tells you, do not grow weary in doing good. We heard this again from Lois, Galatians chapter 6. Do I have it on the screen? It says, let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. If we don't give up, that's the same message that's given to Habakkuk. God gives him an answer. And it's one that I think you and I need to hear today. Don't grow weary, even though it's hard. Number two, when you face discouragement, 
Your faith starts with a confidence in God. And I, I want you to see once more how Habakkuk does that. When he starts his complaint again in chapter, in verse 12 of chapter 1, remember he starts out by saying, you are almighty. You are all powerful. You are all good. You are, you're my rock. Right? That's where he starts. He doesn't begin with his own trying to make sense of society around him. He starts with a confidence in God, which is then proven at the beginning of chapter 2 by him saying, so I'm going to stand and I'm going to wait. That's his faith. The faith of Habakkuk, even though he gets an answer he wasn't prepared for, he is able to stand and to continue to look and to serve because his confidence is not in himself, it's in his God. Uh, There's a really, really awesome passage in the book of Daniel. Um, I don't have it on the screen, and I'll just paraphrase it best I can, but there, there were these buddies who were Jews serving in Persia. I mean, just not their own land being forced to do things that the king said. Nebuchadnezzar says, I want you to bow down every time you hear all these instruments and I want you to worship the image that looks like me. Otherwise, I'm throwing you in the furnace. Remember the story? You guys remember this? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And every, the music starts and everyone bows down except these three guys, right? I ain't doing it. So the officials come over. He's going to see you. Like, get with the program. No. And their answer goes like this. Oh, king, we want you to know that our God is able to deliver us from your hand. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. How awesome is that? Right? Is, is that not a confidence? Like, my God is able. He could he, fire for God. You think that's a problem? My, my God can deliver me from your hand, but he might not want to. He might have a reason to allow your wickedness and the evil that comes from you to be poured out on me. That's fine. We're still not going to bow down. So you, they are able to stand with that kind of faith because their confidence is in God. That's the same thing we see reflected here from Habakkuk. And then lastly, uh, my encouragement to you is you need to orient your desires in the direction of your shepherd. And for that, we got to once more look back to 1 Peter 2. Do you remember? He says, for you were like sheep going astray. Those stupid, stupid sheep. <laughs> right? Of which I am one of. And you are one of. And our broken hearts are going to keep leading us in the wrong direction until we learn to reorient them exactly like the text says, which is that we've now returned to the shepherd. And what's the shepherd do? The shepherd's whole gig is overseeing the sheep to give them what they need to keep them from the harm. Stay away from, stop hitting your head on the corner of the building because here's where the pasture is. That's the shepherd's whole gig. I need to do better at this. You need to do better at this. Because Jesus hasn't moved. Jesus hasn't changed. But we are the ones who still have these desires in our heart for our own pride, our own pleasure, our own justification. Whatever it is that your heart will lead you astray, it's deceiving us. And Jesus has made a way. He has purchased you from the grave. His death on the cross was your penalty, for by his stripes you have been healed. And what was Psalm 23? Do you remember? Do you remember? He will prepare for me a table in the presence 
of my enemy. The Babylonians are going to be all around. But God will still take care of me and bless me because that's what a good shepherd does. You and I need to reorient those desires according to his will. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning.